Welcome to the Big the Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. Uh, I'm your host today, Luke Fowler, here with my co-hosts, Jackie Kettler and Charlie Hunt, and we're all from the School of Public Service at Boise State, and we're excited to, to bring you another episode where we're talking about the hot topics in politics, um, and this has definitely been a interesting week as far as politics goes um and so we will jump right into the big story not just big this week or this month but really big in american history which is the opening of impeachment hearings and the bombshells that have been dropped left and right so uh, i'm gonna ask our chief uh congressional correspondent over here charlie hunt i just gave him a, a promotion here i'm a right correspondent or, or, or extra so title great. that he can add to his resume uh, right. i'm gonna ask charlie to uh, give us give us some broad strokes about what's going on because there's been so many stories it's hard to really just go through you know, to keep up with it all. It sure is hard to keep up with it all. Uh, I will do my best to, to give some broad strokes. So, uh, you know, what, one thing that's interesting about this whole process is that uh, the House uh, Select Intelligence Committee, which is running uh, these impeachment proceedings, uh, chaired by uh, the now famous or infamous, depending on how you think about him, Adam Schiff, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff of California, they've been Packing these in really tightly over the over the past week or two, these all these sort of bombshell witnesses like sardines in a can, sometimes back to back, some in the morning, some in the afternoon. Do you think there's a strategy to that? I definitely think there is. I'm not. I, I think, uh, you know, I think they probably the Democrats probably had some concerns in terms of, uh, you know, these proceedings lasting, you know, long into into 2020 and clouding, you know, crowding out maybe, uh, they, they probably want to get this done, for example, before the Democratic primaries really start heating up a lot, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. But I think they probably wanted to, you know, get this done uh, quickly and efficiently rather than look like they're trying to drag it out. And so I do think that's part of their uh, their strategy. And but of course, one of the consequences of that is that they have so many of these witnesses who are really uh, dropping some interesting and, uh, frankly, kind of damning knowledge about about uh, uh, the president and this sort of uh, this uh, sort of scheme to, uh, you know, use the Ukrainians to try and influence the 2020 election and get dirt on Joe Biden. And uh, it's it can be hard for the media to process a lot of this stuff at once. But I also think uh, they're sort of in a way taking a uh, in a way taking a leaf out of Trump's playbook, which is sort of, you know, acknowledging the short term memory of a lot of the media environment, the 24 hour news cycle, which is now like a three hour news cycle. Uh, you know, trying to sort of keep these hits coming throughout these two weeks. And there's the fact that these proceedings are being, live cast simulcast on all the major networks throughout the whole day this is sort of a supercharging of this investigation that is really starting to reach more than just us crazy people who just follow it on twitter all the time this is now starting to reach regular americans and so because reports have been that there's a pretty high viewership right oh yeah yeah and it's and it's been interesting because a lot of the some of the republicans on the committee especially ranking member uh devin nunes uh the republican 
uh, has sort of repeatedly tried to sort of it's sort of a very sort of Trumpian accusation of oh these are very low ratings you know no one's watching uh, the numbers don't really bear that out a lot of Americans are watching a lot more Americans are seeing this on the front page of the newspaper every single day uh, and, and not s- just Democrats paying attention oh right? no no it's 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 everybody at this point and uh, you know interestingly the there's been some polling information that has showed sort of some increasing support for impeachment and removal. And interestingly, you know, they break this down by who is uh, following the proceedings not that closely or very closely. And of people who are following it very closely, not only is support among those voters highest for impeachment and removal, but that the split of the parties are really even across Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And so that should probably worry some of the Republicans who uh, are thinking, oh, well, this is only sort of angering Democrats. This is only Democrats are paying attention to this, and this isn't having any real impact. It is a little early to say, but it does seem to be that the viewership of these these hearings and these proceedings is pretty equal across the parties, uh, and that circle of uh, is is growing. Uh, sort of every day, there's a new hearing. Interesting stuff. Uh, so what? Um, and so I guess one of the big stories is right about the ambassador to the EU, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sondland, Gordon Sondland, yes. Uh, so his uh, his. Uh, testimony in particular was full of bombshells, right? Um, I mean, it was every time, like every five minutes, he said something new that was shocking and kind of appalling to a certain extent. So can you give us a, a kind of a summary of some of the, the, the highlights of what he said to, to Congress yesterday? Sure. So the, the thing about Ambassador Sondland is that he had testified uh, previously. He was one of the first to give testimony, uh, to give a deposition, uh, th- these sort of closed door depositions that they started out with. And upon uh, a lot of these other witnesses coming forward in these in these public hearings, like uh, uh, Ambassador Bill Taylor, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, and a lot of these other, you know, fairly, I think we can say fairly compelling witnesses who dropped a lot of new knowledge, uh, Sondland came forward and was basic and basically said, uh, I actually have some uh, my my recollections have been significantly refreshed by which was really interesting to, <laughs> yeah. to witness, right? Like... Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting how people's uh, recollections really increase once a lot of new information comes out about certain conversations they had. Well, you know? and so I, I just a brief background here is a lot of those other the Republican strategy with a lot of these other uh, witnesses has been to attack their credibility, right? Uh, but that's a little hard with a Trump employee that donated millions of dollars to the campaign has generally been seen as a Trump ally, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, Sondland... And so that's one of the things that makes this really uh, telling as far... Yeah. Well, I think... So Sondland's sort of opening statement came out that had a lot of these really sort of uh, descriptions of these really damning conversations in them came out minutes before the hearing started, and it really seemed like the Republican uh, members of the committee were really caught off guard, that they didn't think that it was going to be quite this bad. And so it seemed like they couldn't really decide whether they wanted to attack Sondland or try and lift him up since they knew he was sort of a, you know, a, a, a Trump supporter. I mean, like you said, he donated, I think, over a million dollars to his inauguration committee. Uh, and, you know, and therefore he was, uh, you know, appointed ambassador to the EU. And so, uh, you know, it's been hard enough for the Republicans to sort of damage the credibility of some of these kind of career bureaucrats who are not, 
you know, it's not like these are Democratic mega donors coming up to testify, right? And so it's like you said, it's even harder with Sondland. And part of the, the the big issue that was part of the bombshell of Sondland's testimony is basically demonstrating that the the circle of people who knew about this uh, this sort of scheme was much larger than than uh, had been previously testified. So it would include people like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, uh, even even the the vice president was seems to have been aware that a lot of this was going on and did not necessarily say anything or push back. And so that's been that was one of the 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 big issues that that Sondland brought up for sure. Wow. I mean, so definitely this was uh, one. And the, the things about Pence were particularly shocking because uh, largely Mike Pence has, has positioned himself as, let's say, I don't want to say an outsider, but not really connected with right. some of the shenanigans that have gone on here. So pulling him back in was, um, I think, very interesting for a lot of people of asking. I mean, really, that when you think about if there is an impeachment and who will be president, about whether or not he's going to continue to be brought into these questions moving forward. Uh, I have a uh, friend that tweeted, on, uh, that put on Twitter uh, earlier this week, I was like, oh, by the end of the month, Nancy Pelosi's going to be president. Um, I thought that was pretty comical, but kind of almost accurate, or at least a possibility at this point, if, if accusations like that continue to fly. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to, well, I, we definitely need to learn a little bit more, especially given this new kind of, this new discussion that Solon brought up. We need to learn a little bit more about what the vice president's involvement was, uh, if any. But there's, there's, we've only scratched the surface, and so clearly there's a lot more for them to learn and a lot more for us to learn, too. All right. So even though we just scratched the surface on this, um, we're going to be back in a couple of minutes. We've got to take a short break. FM and 93.5 downtown. Cool. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for having us. All right, we're back on Big Tent Radio talking about the big political headlines from this week. And the last segment, we, we started talking about the impeachment, but we could probably do a three- or four-hour show. And I know we have colleagues at places like uh, Fox News and CNN that have done 24-hour constant talking about this. So we'll, we'll spare our audience that much impeachment scenarios. And we, we can barely it. handle a half hour here. So Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but before we, we, we move on to, to other discussion of national politics, why don't we uh, say what we think are some of the biggest takeaways or some of the things that stood out the most shocking parts of this week from all these impeachment hearings um, just to give our audience something to look for sure I mean I mean as far as as far as what was revealed this week I think uh, I think people were expecting the uh, the public hearings to mainly just reflect what had already kind of been leaked out from the private hearings they had had for the la- over the last three or four weeks but I think even uh, I think both Democrats and Republicans in the committee were really surprised with how, uh, y- you know, how much sort of extra testimony there ended up being as a result of sort of new documents becoming available. Um, and so, y- you know, what I'll be looking for going forward is uh, how much public opinion is being moved by this, because that's really going to be what uh, what is going to affect or not affect how Republicans deal with this, whether this impeachment things, impeachment vote that seems inevitable is going to be bipartisan or not. That's kind of what what I'm going to be thinking about. Yeah, there seems to be some shifting on the Republican side, not necessarily trying to discredit what that it happened, but that maybe it's not inappropriate or not such a big deal, which is interesting. And so I think I agree, Charlie, I'm really I'm really intrigued by how um, citizens will respond to this, especially those that are Republican and whether um, they can, you know, how much they continue to align with um, kind of the Republican um, comments and, and position that, that everything's 
fine, that this is all just made up and nothing. Yeah, and I found it, frankly, pretty surprising that even some of the the, the Republican members who we think of as more moderate on the committee, people like Will Hurd uh, from Texas and Elise Stefanik, who has become sort of this kind of overnight Republican star, uh, that even you know they have really really pushed back against a lot of these witnesses and and showed more loyalty to, to President Trump than I think we might have expected and so it'll be interesting to see whether or not that's kind of a litmus test for other Republicans going forward. Interesting. So the two things that that really stuck out that is one Rudy Giuliani and how he seems to be. Oh, I mean, like I feel like we could do somebody's going to have to write several books about this man and how he just ends up being one not good at what he does in the sense of like getting people it seems to cause more trouble than <laughs> right. anything else but he seems to be in the middle of all of this um, how, he, he I, comes it, up an awful lot in this he, administration if he is not in federal prison by all of this like it is a shame because um, he's clearly done some very very unethical and moral things probably some things that break the law the other thing that, that stuck out to me at least from this is how um, let's say clear the narrative that the Democrats are trying to produce is coming out because I kind of expected this to look like the narrative around Russia um, with the Mueller report where it was kind of vague and not really clear but it seems like this in the last week like there's a very clear chain of events that they're laying out here that it's it's not one of those things that you get confused about, right? And I think one of the things on the Republican strategy was try to like basically make this look as ambiguous as possible. Right. And I think it's going to be hard for them because there is a very clear things that people have pointed to. Here is where X equals Y. Here is a smoking gun that connects all of these things that you're saying are disconnected. Um, and so that's the thing that's kind of surprised me throughout all of these hearings is how clear this narrative is coming together. Yeah, it's a much simpler story to understand than the than the Russia stuff where there were a lot of intermediaries. But with each each testimony we get seems to bring move the needle closer and closer to the smoking gun like being in the hand of the president and uh i think you know part of what democrats will probably hope for you know it's tough because they don't want to deal with court battles and stuff like that but i do think that they would like rudy giuliani to testify they would probably now after sondland's testimony they would like people like uh, secretary of state pompeo I mean, they even joked about getting the president to testify, uh, and the president, for some reason, indicated he might be open to that. I think we know that's not going to happen. But I'd like to see John Bolton's, because I feel like he's somebody who's ready to drop some bombshells. Yes, I mean, just straight, straight out of that mustache of his. I mean, just, I feel like he would do it just for the fun of it. I mean, just to entertain himself at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's toyed with the idea of testifying, and that would obviously be, I mean, again, like we said, the Democrats want to sort of get this done and move past this and go straight into the primaries with some momentum politically. But, uh, you know, there are definitely some people they would like to see testify in addition to who already has. All right. So speaking of uh, the Democrats and the primaries, uh, it seemed like we had, what, the uh, 1200th Democratic presidential primary? With still like 100 more to go. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty deep in this. And it seems like everybody's just saying the same things over and over again. Um, so for Although us, Biden manages to find new ways to embarrass himself, to yeah. emb- like new gaffes all yeah. the time. Yeah. I mean, he's really impressive that way. Um, right. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, the, the, the debate that uh, happened last night on top of everything else that happened yesterday, uh, slow news day, that, uh, you know, that they had this debate last night. And, uh, you know, one thing that's clear is fewer candidates on the stage. A few people missed out, including uh, people who have made some headlines in previous debates like Julian Castro. Um, so the field is starting to whittle down. And by the time they have the next debate in about a month, it's going to be much the bar is, as we say each time, it's increasing and increasing. 
so far, people like Cory Booker, who have made some good headlines out of some of these debates, including, you know, people seem to think he had a pretty good performance last night, but he does he's not qualifying for the debate already. And so we're going to be down to five or six candidates on this stage. And I think that kind of reflects the state of the race at this point that, you know, uh, we're getting, you know, we're only a couple months away from Iowa um, and this this, you know, crazy train is going to start up all again uh, when that happens. And so, you know, we'll see how many how many people are left by then. But uh, it's starting to get real, as the kids say. So what are your thoughts on Mayor Pete? Because he went from a long shot candidate to who is now, I mean, a very legitimate contender for the center of the party. Oh, yeah. I mean, Pete is as you know, he he made a bit of a splash early on by raising a ton of money and sort of, uh, you know, coming onto the stage with an interesting perspective, the generational perspective, uh, then faded away for a while. But now there have been quite a few polls that have him actually in the lead in Iowa ahead of both ahead of Biden, Warren and Bernie and uh, and even one that has him ahead in New Hampshire. And if you're winning Iowa and New Hampshire, that's going to create some momentum. And so he is uh, definitely, you know, closer to the top of the polls now. And I think what's going to come along with that, and I think you saw some of this in the debate last night, is some increased scrutiny. He's a young guy and, and uh, you know, maybe not a ton of skeletons in his closet, but certainly his ideological viewpoints, I think, are going to be challenged as well as some some kind of gaffes that his campaign has made. Plus, there's there's suggestion. It looks like he's not doing very well with minority populations, oh, yeah. and that's and that is important. That's going to be more important in some of the states like South Carolina, and then mm-hmm. a few more as we move on. So he's going to have to get better, you know, appealing to a broader set of the population in order to to translate this early success, potential early success later down the road. Absolutely. I mean, it's worth, you know, we've said it before, but Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, it won't surprise anyone are very white states. Um, and and uh, n- they are. I was unaware. Of <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, and not necessarily uh, not necessarily moderate. Actually, a lot of the Democratic voters in those states are fairly progressive. And so that's why I mean, you can see that's why Bernie and, and Warren, you know, have had some success in the polls in those states. But Yeah, I mean, in order to unify the Democratic Party throughout the coming year and leading up to the to the convention and then the election, the nominee is going to have to be someone who can at least make a good attempt at reforming this, uh, you know, what they call the Obama coalition of voters of, you know, progressives, sort of, uh, you know, Midwestern white vote. And then, you know, really energizing the the racial minority vote. And that's going to be something that Mayor Pete is at least going to have to really start to at least make an effort at and demonstrate in the in the coming months if he's going to be the nominee. I did think it was interesting in the debate. We saw a few people like um, Harris, who had kind of was fallen behind a little bit, had a good night. Whether or not that actually translates into any anything moving forward, any energy. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the big questions over the next month or so is can some of these sort of really well qualified, thought to be strong candidates like Harris, Klobuchar, and Booker make some last ditch effort to break through uh, this sort of top four that has been pretty solid since the beginning of this campaign. Yeah. So all interesting stuff. Uh, We have 150, 200 debates left between now and Iowa. And then we're going to have five to six thousand between Iowa and the actual election. So lots more to talk about. I'm I'm kidding. There's not actually that many more debates. It just feels like that because we're having them every other week. And we'll have a segment for all of them. Yes. Charlie is very excited. The rest of us just collectively rolled our eyes. (laughs) Um, But we will be back in just a couple of minutes to hopefully talk about something other than politics for a moment. 
Hello there. I'm Mr. Partybear from the Icelandic band Rock Paper Sisters. You are listening to Radio Boise, KRPX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. All right, we're back on Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. Um, and we're uh, wrapping up our discussion on uh, national politics, but let's talk about the other big story that's coming up, Thanksgiving, the giving yes. of thanks. And, and I am so ready for this I think Thanksgiving we all are. break. <laughs> You're thankful for it, even? I am <laughs> thankful for the Thanksgiving break. So what is, uh, what is your favorite part about Thanksgiving, guys? I am going to have to go with the the food. I mean, it's tough to beat. Um, it's been, I have to admit, it's been, uh, I two years ago I started being a vegetarian, which, uh, you know, has come with its challenges and none of them greater than giving up Thanksgiving turkey. I still crave it every year, but I have to hold strong. So how uh, strict is this rule? Do you get to like eat like turkey gravy and stuff? I'm usually I, I I try and stay pretty flexible. I mean, the only thing I I uh, that that means more to me than my vegetarianism in terms of eating is not inconveniencing hosts or other people, and so I will go way out of my way to do that. So, turkey gravy, sure. If that's the only gravy available, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put up a fuss. And in fact. I may even welcome it. So, uh, of course, I'm from the South, and so I had a, a friend there um, that was vegan, and basically she explained, like, it's really, really hard to eat, like, vegan and vegetarian because all the all the vegetables also have meat somehow cooked in them and all this stuff. That's stuff. right. And so she was like, oh, yeah, it's really actually difficult to find things that, that fit this. What about you, Jackie? What, is your, what are you most excited for for Thanksgiving? Well, I mean, like... I, I mean, the food is always wonderful. I have a, a husband who's a very good cook, and I particularly enjoy all the sides. So, like, I love mashed potatoes and sweet potato dishes and, uh, I mean, just all those those elements. But it's always nice to get a chance to just take a break, spend it with family or friends, which is it's just nice to kind of get together, have some time to relax, and just enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. Good. How about you, Luke? I'm going to, besides the food, um, I'm going to go with the, it's rivalry week in college football, right? Ah. So Thursday and Saturday, a lot of the big games playing, though, with Alabama's loss to LSU, good thing Jen's not here because she would throw something at me. <laughs> uh, that uh, Iron Ball has lost a little bit of his luster, but, you know, there's a lot of good football. It's uh, essentially the the end of the regular season. Um, so uh, it's always kind of fun to sit around the house for a couple of days, just gorge yourself on various foods and, and watch football and not really have to think about things. Um, so I, I really appreciate this. As a as a welcome break in the end of November. Yeah, there's always some good football going yeah. on. Mm. Any uh, any sort of longstanding family Thanksgiving traditions? Uh, you know, any anything backyard football games? Anything you kind you kind of like to do with your family that uh, make it make it that much more special of a day? So. Uh, my family does not actually have like a whole lot of traditions. We just kind of like do what's most convenient every year. So it's very interesting. Mary, my wife, who has like her family has all of these traditions, and they're like, "Oh, every year we do this and this and this." And I'm like, "What?" And so she makes like at the holidays, like, "Oh, we have to do it this way." And I'm like, "Why?" Wow. It's like, "Oh, it's family tradition." So it's it's very hard for me to keep up with all these things. But given that we don't get to go back and uh, visit our family in Boise, one thing that we have taken to doing is a friendsgiving with uh, some of her colleagues, and that's always kind of fun. I I think I actually prefer friendsgiving kind of thing where you mm-hmm. have Thanksgiving dinner with a group of friends rather than with my family. So I'm going to I'm gonna call that a, a pretty good tradition yeah, that we started out that's here. That's become pretty big for us as well. The last, the last year and this year we spent it with family, but often we were spending it with friends, um, kind of our own made family um, mm-hmm. here in town, which is always lovely. 
Yeah, and I think that's actually, I mean, I guess the term friends grooming was coined in the last decade or so, but I think that's becoming a, a much bigger thing, particularly amongst our generation who are much more mobile and are living away from their families that are kind of forming these uh, quasi-families of their own in the new places they live and are celebrating holidays and inventing their own traditions. I mean, this will, I mean, for me personally, I just moved here a few months ago, this will be, I think this will be the first Thanksgiving in my entire life where I will not see my parents. Aww. And so to my parents who are listening, I'm very sorry that I won't be that home. That is but they can rest assured that uh, our that uh, I'm I'm going to the home of one of our one of our colleagues, our wonderful uh, program chair for political science, Lori Hausiger. So, Lori, thank you for taking me in like a lost puppy. Uh, it will be a it will be a very good Thanksgiving, and I'm thankful to have my friends here that that will. Uh, take me in. I remember the first we, we've often missed Thanksgiving once we moved away but I remember the first Christmas we missed and that was hard like yeah. it was just a little challenging um, not to see not to see my parents on the day so I, 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 I can understand how that's a little sad. Yeah but luckily I have excellent colleagues who who are my new family. We here. have a pretty good crowd. Yes. Well so uh to wrap the show up, I think we should do something super, super cliche. Do you want to say what you're all thankful for this year? Oh. I think that'd be very nice, Luke. Yes. All right. I'm not starting. You're not starting. I'm not okay. starting. Who wants to start? All right. I'll go ahead. Uh, I'm I'm thankful. Uh, I'm thankful actually for for many things, but especially for uh, for a show like this where we can sort of come together every week and and talk about some of these issues. Uh, you know the the way we might over over a few beers and and I'm and I'm thankful for uh, I'm thankful for Radio Boise for giving us this kind of opportunity. This has been a fun a fun little surprise that I was not expecting uh, in in starting my new career here. So uh, so thanks to you all for co-hosting with me. Well, you're welcome, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, Luke Luke is making the, all of this work. Really, so. I'm just thankful for Luke. <laughs> we all that's, are. That's really what everybody should be thankful for. Yeah. Um, I'm thankful for just like I have an amazing a network of support of family and friends, and mm. you know, it's always especially um, as I I get a little farther out from my recent bout of with cancer, but it's just it is so meaningful to have such a supportive friends, family, workplaces, everyone. It, it it really makes a, a big deal and it, it helps for you know continuing to move forward so well i'm gonna echo that i'm gonna say i'm actually fairly thankful uh for all my colleagues um at the school of public service it's not a, a plug for them but like even though they, some of them annoy me from sometimes, uh, they're all really good at what they do, and I think they they constantly push me to not only be better at what I do as you know at work and in my research on this, but also push me to be a, a better person and like collaborate more and consider other people's perspectives that are different from me. Um, and I think that's probably uh, really important for my like personal growth and development. And I also had to say I'm very uh, uh, thankful for my wife because I'm not a very easy person to get along with, and she is a saint for dealing with me all year long. So yeah, I gotta gotta plug her there because she's a wonderful. Yeah, I, I think you can tell from all three of us that we all are just so happy and thankful to be working and living where we are. And so we hope you all have a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving with um, your set of family or friends as well. That's right. And next week we have uh, we'll we'll still be on. We'll have an interesting interview Luke and I uh, conducted a few weeks ago with uh, Dr. Helen Ingram, and then we'll be back the following week with with probably more impeachment updates.